Well, I have to say it's very good to be back at Village Church along with Nancy, my wife. We love coming here. It's wonderful to be with you and, uh, and each time to, to see firsthand uh, what the Lord's doing in this place and the ways that you guys are uh, flourishing uh, in what, of course, has been a long, extended, challenging season uh, of uh, pandemic. Um, you guys have flexed into that gracefully with the Lord's help, and we're glad to see it. As Seth said, later this morning, we're going to be welcoming new covenant members, and uh, we're going to be confirming several folks, and uh, just, uh, again, fruit of what God is doing uh, in this place. But meanwhile, thank you. Uh, thank you for the ways that you've cared for one another. Thank you for the ways that you've continued to reach out to the wider community with the love of Christ. Um, I'm so thankful for the Canes, for all of your staff, clergy, leaders, really all of the people of Village Church. So we find ourselves in this uh, season of Advent, which is a season, as I'm sure you've been hearing in the preaching, is a time of waiting, of anticipating. Uh, it's a time to realize that we serve a God and have a God who comes to us, who breaks into our world, who rescues us at that place that we need rescuing. First, he did it most profoundly in the incarnation, which we will celebrate as Christmas approaches, where Jesus took on flesh and lived among us. But also in Advent, we're reminded that God is still yet to break in, to come to our rescue, and that that will happen at the end of the age when he returns in glory. And on that day, he'll take everything that's wrong and he'll make it right. And he'll establish a new heaven and a new earth which C.S. Lewis rightly says to us that our life right now in this world is just but a preface to the real story uh, that's about to unfold in eternity in Christ Jesus. So this morning we're going to open God's Word together, and I just want to take a moment and pray for us as, as we do that. So let us pray. Father, we do bless you and thank you for your promised presence in our midst. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would attend, that you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to us, that we might hear from you in very tangible ways this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So a story is told of a man who was driving through a, a rough neighborhood in his town in his brand new Jaguar, when all of a sudden, smack! A brick hit and impacted the side of his crown jewel. And he screeched to a stop and he jumped out of his car, as any of us would, to, to find the culprit. And in his anger, what he found instead was a young boy who was standing on the sidewalk who said, I'm sorry, sir, my sister, who was laying next to him, had a seizure, or is that lying next to <laughs> I think she was lying next to him on the sidewalk. It had a seizure, and I had to, 
I had to get your attention somehow. I'm sorry. And the man's anger melted away as the boy said, I just needed your help. Well, in our gospel reading from Luke chapter 3 today, we hear about the ministry of John the Baptist, who, of course, was the forerunner to Jesus. Uh, Because he was the forerunner to Jesus, in Advent, it seems like we get a particularly large dose of John the Baptist. And if I'm honest, I have to say he's not my favorite in all of the New Testament. Uh, He was the one whom God sent to prepare the way, or saying it another way, he was the brick that God throws at us to get our attention. And that's exactly what John the Baptist does. His his message was pretty straightforward. He, He warned of the judgment to come. He called the people of Israel to repentance. And he asked them to mark it by baptism in the River Jordan. He said the axe is laid to the trees already. That there's a judgment, a fiery judgment And he confronted the people about their presumption. The the Jewish folks who said, we have Abraham as our father. What could possibly go wrong? And I wonder what our forms in this generation of presumption are. I go to church. I give to the church. My mother is a strong believer. What is it that we somehow presume upon that we need to hear what John is saying? And John answers the questions of the crowd who asked, what then should we do, John? He says, well, if you have anything extra, share it with others. And to the tax collectors, he said, collect only what's authorized to you. And to the soldiers, he said, don't extort anyone. If you kind of look at what John was preaching, it was righteousness 101. And if that was all we were left with in John's message we'd be left with a kind of moralism, wouldn't we? The kind of thing that really doesn't help. It just says, do better, be better, work harder. But it doesn't address the deeper need. I mean, everything he said was right. And everything he said we should do. But it doesn't address the deeper problem. But Luke was able to go on. I don't know if you heard it in that gospel reading. He said all of this, this righteousness 101. And he said, and in these ways, John preached the good news. And I want to say, this is the only way I can see good news in what John was preaching. It came in those words where he said, I baptize you with water. But one's coming after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Apostle, in talking about John the Baptist, says, He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. 
The good news is, is that John pointed beyond himself. He, he pointed beyond his righteousness 101. He pointed to the Christ, to the one who is coming to rescue, to the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, to the one whom, thanks be to God for us, is able to change us from the inside out. Not a moralism kind of imposed from the outside, but the Spirit of God whom this one will give who will reside in us. He will baptize us with the Spirit. John pointed to Jesus. And because he pointed to Jesus, it was truly good news. Jesus who is God's Son, clothed in human flesh, who worked miracles, who proclaimed an inbreaking kingdom of God, who gathered a small community of believers and appointed apostles. Jesus, who, who died for the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Jesus, who ascended to God's right hand over all creation and who will one day return in unspeakable glory. This was the one that John pointed to. This was the good news, the gospel, which John the Baptist points us. And we can fast forward a generation later, and we hear the Apostle Paul speaking of this same gospel, this same good news in this epistle to the Philippians. Paul was passionate about the gospel. He had already in this epistle before this fourth chapter that we heard read, he had already thanked the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. He had commended them for their boldness in the gospel and proclaiming the word in their community. He was able to see how his own imprisonment, Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell, his own imprisonment, imprisonment led to the spread of the gospel and amazingly it was from a prison cell that the apostle paul writes these words that we hear every third sunday of advent rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand paul in a prison cell, Paul, facing potential death, writes these words from his heart to the Philippians and to us. That no matter what circumstances you're in, he can say, rejoice. Always. Not when things are going well. Rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice, the apostle says. And the joy of this gospel is at that place where the cross and the resurrection triumph over sin and death and the powers of darkness. Paul found actually that this, this gospel was the fulfillment of what Zephaniah the prophet foresaw. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you in his love. You see, Paul saw the gospel as the fulfillment of all that the prophets had promised. 
that this gospel is the place where love conquers fear, where joy overshadows any momentary imprisonment that he encounters or any adversity that we can encounter. Because Paul knew that even though his, his hands were in chains, he was freer than he had ever been having encountered the person of Jesus. Paul continues, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, for Paul, this God is so near that we can take our requests, our prayers, our supplications right to him. We can experience his peace in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing in life. And that that peace will abide with us. A peace that we'll never understand, but peace that he and he alone can give. Paul continues, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, one of our problems is our minds and the things we think about. Paul says it in another one of his epistles. He said, you know, set your minds on the things above, not on the things below. And in many ways, it's true, our mind is the battlefield of so much warfare that goes on internally in the life of a believer. And so Paul calls us to, to focus our minds on the things that are good, that have excellence and beauty, the things that are lovely, the things that we can praise in this world, and not to get caught up in the what-ifs and the fears and the darkness which our mind can so easily fall into. And then Paul says the most amazing thing. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul was able to point to his own life and say, what you see in me, practice these things. Not because Paul was perfect, but because God was at work in Paul. And I would say that that's true for us, that the most powerful testimony we have is the lives that we live. That our lives are called to reflect this love and this peace and this joy that only Jesus can give to us. That's what those being confirmed later this morning are, are stepping into. Those who are joining this church are called to live out this kind of life, this kind of joyful witness to Christ in the midst of this people and this community and to allow God so to fill us that that joy overflows, that this peace of God dominates our lives, that somehow by God's grace, the world which is looking for these things might see in us Christ himself the joy that he gives. You see, what was happening in Christ in this gospel is the call of God it was not just for a few. It's not for the leader. It's not for Seth and the clergy. 
The call is for all God's people to live in this kind of relationship with God that, that they know and experience God's peace in the midst of very challenging circumstances and that the world takes notice of the joy and the love of the community of God's people. It's a early church historian wrote about the Christians, not himself a Christian, but he couldn't help but say, oh, how they love one another. The, wor the world could not understand how folks could care so deeply and love one another to such an extent as the early church did. And that's what changed the world. That's what propelled the gospel. In the shadow of his cross, on the night before Jesus died, he said to his disciples that all of these things I've spoken to you is in order that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What the world needs more than anything else is the joy that only Jesus can give. The world doesn't need Christians that preach or point the finger in judgment. They don't need communities that are grumpy, that shake their heads about how bad things are, as bad as, as, as tempting as that might be for us. What they need, what the world needs, what we need in one another is to see and taste the abiding joy of Jesus that transcends any circumstance that rests on the finished work of his cross, which secures us, not only in this world, but in the age to come. You see, the brick that smacks the side of our car, that causes us to stop, that, that gets our attention, that helps us to realize that we're the ones who need God's help. And that that help, beloved, comes in the person of Jesus. He is our life. He is our joy. Let us pray. Blessed God and Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the challenges, the hurts, the pains that we are facing and that we carry. And so we come to the one that John the Baptist pointed to. We come to you, Lord, and we release these things. And we ask by prayer and supplication that you would fill us with your joy, that we might know your peace, and that it might not be something that we hoard for ourselves, but that might overflow out of our lives, that the world might see and know that Jesus is the Christ. For it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.